Welcome to the Let the Stray Show, your one-stop destination for intriguing conversations with extraordinary individuals who are boldly navigating life outside the conventional norms. Our host, Scott Fullerton, is thrilled to embark on this journey of discovery with all of you. The Left a Straight Show, we believe that every person's story is unique, and it's our mission to showcase the diversity of human experiences. We bring you the untold stories of fascinating people who identify as LGBT plus and allies, pushing boundaries, breaking stereotypes, and making a positive impact in our communities. On this show, we bring you a diverse lineup of inspiring guests, from activists to artists, and entrepreneurs to entertainers, and everything in between. We dive deep into their personal journeys, discovering the pivotal moment that has shaped their lives and careers. You can expect thought-provoking discussions on a wide range of topics, from LGBTQ rights, social justice to arts, culture, mental health, and more. Our guests are change makers who share their insights, challenges, and triumphs, igniting conversation that promotes empathy, understanding, and love. So whether you're part of the LGBTQ community or an ally looking to expand your knowledge and show your support, the Left to Straight show is for you. Together, we can build bridges of understanding and acceptance, celebrating the beauty of what makes us all unique. So sit back, grab a drink, and get ready for the show. Well, welcome back, dear listeners, to another exciting interview here on the Left of Straight Show. I'm your host, as always, Scott Fullerton. I'm always honored to talk to celebrities and personalities from entertainment, foodies, books, music, and advocacy. Of course, all of interest to our LGBTQ community and straight allies. Today, I am delighted to have a true luminary in the world of business and media. Joining us from the great white north of Canada is the multifaceted Salah Bashir, a titan in the realms of cinema, magazines, and a true force in the world of art. Salah's impressive career is marked by innovation, creativity, and indomitable spirit that is distinctly Canadian. As a philanthropist, a patron of the arts, and a business magnet, he truly embodies a blend of heart and hustle. From helming some of the most read entertainment magazines to launching video empires and working with some of the leading names in the entertainment industry, Sala has now come out with an impressive life on paper in his new book, Sala Bashir, First to Leave the Party, My Life with Ordinary People. Let's dive deep into this life and this remarkable man. So please welcome to Left the Trade Show for the very first time, Mr. Sala Bashir. Sala, how are we doing, sir? We're doing great. Nice to meet you. Nice to be on here. But, you know, the, very nice the title of the book is important is Ordinary People Who Happen to Be Famous. Who happen to be famous? I misquoted it. Sorry about that. Okay. That that is and that is a key proponent of the book, which we're going to get to in a bit. I'm so excited to have you on. How's everything up in uh, beautiful downtown Toronto? It's great. It's lovely. You know, things are good. There you go. I like the summer in Toronto. The winter I can do without on occasion, but I, love I really enjoy my summer. I was a hockey goalie, and I come from Lebanon originally, so I'm used to not great weather. But I love the winter. It's so beautiful here. As there long you as it still stays white before it comes brown or something. Right. Well, the first couple of questions I ask, even though you do have this great biography here, I want to um, talk about where did you grow up and what kind of a kid were you? Were you always kind of interested in the entertainment business or what kind of drew you to that? I grew up, for my first 10 years, I was in Lebanon and we grew up North Toronto in a, a suburb uh, called Rexdale. 
um, I was interested in interest, still interested in sports. I'm foodie. You said earlier, <laughs> love food. Um, uh, and yeah, I'm interested in all kinds of stuff. Pretty open to right. everything. My husband says I like I'm the person to cook for because I eat everything. <laughs> I hear that. I, I, for some reason, I'm not a big seafood fan, but I eat just about everything else under the sun. So I hear you. And second question I always ask new people on the show. I mean, you're out and proud. You support a lot of LGBT charities. Your husband's a fantastic artist. Talk about, though, when did you kind of first come out to yourself and where do you feel you kind of found your LGBTQ tribe? I came out pretty early to myself. I knew I was gay since probably I was eight. And I came out to my parents early as well. I'm, I'll be 68 in October. And so my parents was very accepting and supportive. And the only thing my mom ever said to me was, I, I want you to have a child who's as nice to you as as you've been to us. Nothing else. Oh. Nothing, you know, where you stick your dick or any of those things. <laughs> None of those questions. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. And as I said in the intro, I mean, your career has spanned across magazines and cinema. Have you, uh, did, did you ever think that was the way you were going to go? Or how did you kind of enter into those spheres? Um, well, we, I entered into those spheres. I worked on the student newspaper in university and uh, learned journalism a bit that way. And I was more a community activist. Uh, and my brother wanted to do a video magazine. He had one of the first video stores and I already had been freelancing a lot. So I worked with him and we did a magazine called Video Mania in the early 80s. And I worked a lot in New York with people, video review and different things. And being in the industry, I semi lived off and on in New York and Toronto. I love that. And uh, what was the, the hardest part about um, getting all this started? How did you get entry into talking to all these people? Um, how did that all come about? Well, we had magazines. We had Premiere Magazine and Video Mania, and then later we had Famous and Cineplex magazines. And at the beginning, we launched a lot of video, you know, home video uh, studios in in Canada, the American brands. So I got to know a lot of the studios that way. And home video was the cash cow of the entertainment industry when it first came out. They would leave everything till six months later after cinema, and then release it on video. But they've already had marketed and everything was done for it. So you didn't really need much more marketing. But we would be invited on sets, junkets usually, where mm -hmm. you know people sit at a table and interview someone like Sean Connery or something like that. And um and we'd bank the interviews for six months. So we were like the we were with all the film journalists, but we had our own little junkets. So and that's how a lot of stuff started. My attitude was, I have a story. <laughs> you have to story tell. I have a story to write. Like, let's just do this, and I want to go meet my friends. But in some cases, maybe that attitude led to friendships with different people, like deeper friendships. And it seems like people are so uh, amenable to the interviews and so nice when they're up there. I mean, I've had on the show before Tanner Zipchin, who does a lot of interviews up in Canada there for all of the... Uh, media sites and the cinemas there and everything. So it just seems that people are really open to talking to where they're. Have you ever found anyone difficult to speak to or were they all pretty easygoing? No, there's a lot of difficult people. That's another book. 
<laughs> we do, I do a lot of fundraising from early on. And so when we we're in the video industry, we did a gala where we had, um, we we're looking at people at the end of their career, really, who were at the, mm. the top of their careers. And so people like Ginger Rogers and Jimmy Stewart, and we paid tribute. Um, and I got became close friends with Douglas Fairbanks Jr., who, who was Hollywood. So, you know, and some of them, some of the stuff was in LA as well, different like Greg Weepak and Phyllis Diller. Um, you know, Phyllis Diller was one of the first supporters of trans people in a sense because she believed in cosmetic surgery and believing in look, being who you want to be. And uh, it, it was one of those like, you should, you should be, if you're trapped into somebody's some other body you should have all the rights to to be whoever you want to be so i met them here and there and different things but it was they were dismissed for body shapes and issues and you know date in life like elizabeth taylor made a film in toronto in 1982 with carol burnett and she was already she couldn't go to a gala we were doing because she felt too fat because of the joan rivers joke so all those stories are in 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 the uh, I'm going to get to all those. I mean, some of the people you've talked to are amazing. Now, Toronto is is a big film capital now. And of course, Vancouver is a big television capital. But did you ever think of coming down to the States and going to L.A. or Hollywood or New York? Is it always Canada's always what's the draw of Canada to you? I spent a lot of time in New York and L.A. I, uh, I We had an access to an apartment in New York. My mom, you know, my parents didn't need to leave Lebanon. They left Lebanon for us. And so all five kids were very close. At one point, four of us lived in the same building. And, you know, I did get huge offers in L.A. and New York. And But it was, we didn't leave our homes, our lives and everything so you guys could move away. So, you know, um, at one point when mom had dementia and my sister had, we had them all like within five floors of each other in the same building and took care of them that way. So I never, and Toronto was home, always home for me, but it's easy to travel and stay somewhere and come back to escape everything else. That's so great to be so true to your family like that. A lot of people don't have that kind of family connection. So that's great. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm very proud of that. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, I mean, a lot of people, Unfortunately, their parents don't accept them and don't support them. And, uh, you know, in my third year of doing the magazine, things weren't working out so well. So I did move in back to my parents' basement. And, uh, <laughs> it was great having... As we've all done from time to time, of course. <laughs> <laughs> now, were your parents and family supportive of all this? You said your brother worked with you, I guess, a bit, maybe. Um, Everybody's been very supportive. Everybody's been incredibly supportive. And my mom... No matter how big the star, I was a star at every, you know, one of those, the hand to the cheek, which cover, you know, it could be like, you know, I bring in Marlon Brando back for barbecue in the backyard, but I was still, doesn't right. care who she is. She's going to make my favorite meal as well as stuff. Right? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And talk about your interest in art. I mean, I was reading about your art collection. We're talking a lot of pieces at home. You've had curated events at different museums up in Canada. Talk about where that love of art came from and how you've kind of nurtured that. Well, not not just in Canada. We've had our art. Uh, we loan it to, freely to a lot of places. There's been stuff in the States. There's a show at Camp Monkman coming up in Denver 
next year that's borrowing pieces from us um, across in Lebanon in the Middle East and, and try to be a bad boy as much anonymously as <laughs> I can, but sometimes everything is traced. So um, I've always loved art and artists and hanging out in New York in the 80s, got to know some, had a little fling with Keith Haring, who's pretty well hung. Um, <laughs> But maybe skinny people's dicks look bigger. I don't know. I think that's what it is. It's like there's nothing else on the body and the dick looks bigger. There you go, right? There you go. <laughs> but I was, it's, I think, great to be surrounded by supporting friends, you know, championing artists and seeing them become who they are. And, uh, yeah, so there's a few Warhols and Herrings and Maplethorpes hanging around. And I heard you have some great uh, Warhol pieces. The Warhol Museum is like an hour from me in Pittsburgh. So I've been there quite a few times and bring a lot of friends of Israel from out of town there. Talk about some of your Warhol pieces. Well, I love that museum. It's 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 wonderful um, in, in Pittsburgh. You know, I, I never, I'm not attached to, I'm attached to people mostly, but I trade and sell and donate. Like we donated about a thousand pieces this year. Uh, but not just, I mean, extra pieces we had bought and to community centers. I was in a hospital for a while, so getting art up in the hospitals and universities and art galleries. I fell in love with Warhol because, have you ever seen his sex drawings to start with? They have a couple of them that I've seen there that, that kind of moved to the museum, but I, that's the only time. Well, the, Warhol had a show, like I think 19... 62 even 52 i'm not sure but he had an early show that and most people i mean he loved playing with the press he would say i'm asexual i'm you know all this stuff and totally loved while his husband was inside or you know jed johnson or so i i, I love that and i love there's a queer artist out there you couldn't get i mean if you saw some of the films and you saw some of the other stuff and you couldn't get anything more queer in that age i mean it right. John and David Bowie, and you know, um, so I I loved I loved collecting them and having them on the walls. And in a way, for me, despite everything, Warhol I, I identified with all the, you know, uh, images. And, but we've rotated a lot of them over the years. So, and it seems like you're you're very very. You don't have like sculptures or paintings or photographs you kind of do a wide variety of everything what kind of catches your eye when you when you when you see something you like what are you looking for in a piece yeah you know i i've done a lot of talks about art with other different people and i think the biggest thing is you have to love it you have to live with it forget value you want to buy stocks buy stocks <laughs> and some people will go to art fairs and will have somebody uh, a curator with them and say buy this and when you ask them why do you buy it they have no idea, but in some in some ways, our art talks to each other. Which is one of the artists said to me. There's a, you know, there's some of the most seminal pieces during the AIDS crisis that we have, and with you know with Warhols and different things. So it is about the human struggle, about what we support, artists we support, and I love walking around and just you know staring at the time we saw that or. I want, you know, I'll say to Jacob, I wonder who, how he's doing. You should give him a call or whatever. And I love following artists that what they're working on and visiting their studios. If nothing else, just to have a drink and a joint. Joints are legal now. I can say that, right? Um, but 
That's yeah. amazing. And we talked a little bit before we came on air that I were looking at this gorgeous view of your home. And you said there's a little bit of a story behind it, but do you kind of curate your home? Does it change often or do you kind of leave things as is? Or how do you how do you like to decorate your home? You know what? I like comfort the most. A beautiful stuff and be comfortable. Like if, if somebody, we just took the dog away because he said it should be quiet in here. <laughs> he was sleeping over here on the couch. Um, which he, and he'll tell me when I've been on the phone too long that it's time to get out. <laughs> um, but I curated for comfort. I, I curated, there's a lot of pieces that people would find very, um, challenging and which is great. And it's not, it's not, but it's mostly comfort that a kid or anybody else and accessible, um, having older parents and getting older, you know, so we move pieces around a lot. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, and, yet, and you, you know, there's certain rooms that are decorated with one artist that is, is spectacular. There's a Canadian artist who was in New York forever, but Berlin before that, named Attila Lukash. You should look him up. L U C L. Yeah, it's spectacular. I can send you images. So we have one of the largest collections of his. And that's amazing. I love yeah, that. Homoerotic art from uh, the early nineties and um and was in New York for about ten years. Excuse I me. love that when you can really find pieces like that too. I mean they've they always tease about homoerotic art. I mean, even the bird cage was kind of a side joke and everything, but there's some really great pieces out there, right? Yeah, amazing, amazing pieces. And it's not necessarily just you know, the funny thing is I'll get some artists and say Oh, I drew a painting with a penis, and they're a terrible artist. It's like, okay, <laughs> uh, I can get somebody stand there with a penis, but no. Um, yeah, but it's great art. There's a lot of great homoerotic art out there. Photography, photography has become incredible. The collection right. of photographs. Yeah, the advent of digital photography just made some amazing pieces too lately. I mean, I love the older, I mean, Herb Ritz. I know you have a couple of things. Herb Ritz, I've been a huge fan of forever. I think I had every Ansel Adams print on my walls at one point when I was in my black and white phase. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> there's some gorgeous uh, photography out there and you can see the progression of it from Ansel to now. It's just gorgeous. I sent uh, Greg Gorman's a good friend, and I knew her back then. And so I sent you a bare shot of me naked done by Greg Gorman here in the garden. Oh, nice. I'm <laughs> looking forward to that. <laughs> I will check that out a little bit. Um, that thing that looks like that is a leaf, is not me. Oh, okay. All right. I just let leave things unsaid, Sala. You know, we, we leave it to our imagination. No, but some yeah. things you need to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk about now your husband's an artist. Talk about how do you meet and what kind of art does he do? We met online. We met online on a bear website, Bear Forest or something it's called, I think. Um, and we met, he was coming over for sex. It was, and it, it, we live in, the, on, in Toronto on the 39th floor overlooking the lake, and there was a fire alarm in the building. He couldn't make it up and he came back another time and it was different than anybody else i mean like but exchanged all these new pictures and but from the hallway to the bedroom must be about 80 pieces of art in the apartment he could identify like 90 percent of them and even during yeah. sex I thought, wow <laughs> they told me later he thought they were posters not the original thing so 
Yeah, and then we've been together for um, 17 years, 17 and some years. And we got married eight years ago on the same day that the book is launching. And Katie Lang sang at our wedding. Oh, congratulations. That is awesome. I love that. Yeah, we, um, I do another pod. This is from my left of straight chat. I do another podcast called Bears of a Certain Age for uh, us bears of a certain age, of course. And uh, one of our um, partners on there is based out of Toronto. They did that new, a new gay dating app called Surplus for men that's for 40 and up. Um, any men, not bears, but anybody. But they're a fantastic app based out of Toronto that's really starting to catch fire a little bit. And um, so I'm all about a good dating app. <laughs> yeah. Are you married or are you? I am single. I've been single now for about almost a year and a half. So, yeah, it's been a while. Never married. A um, couple long-term relationships. But uh, I, I've slowed down quite a bit. Like I said, when I moved uh, back to Ohio and I took care of my dad before he passed, um, about eight years ago now, I moved in to kind of help take care of them. And so my dating life hasn't been up to par since then, but it has its spits, spits and spiders yeah. there. Great. There you go. Married, I, any relationship we kind of used to call married before there was marriage. <laughs> was exactly. Like, well, let's talk about your philanthropy and then we're going to dive into the book because you've done, you've, you've had this great uh, success in your career through your media, through your art. And you've also been a great philanthropist for a lot of LGBTQ causes, putting on a lot of different things. In fact, I think we're going to talk about your book launch is going to be uh, have a philanthropy component as well. But talk about the importance of that, too, and giving back. Where did that kind of spirit come from and what kind of organizations do you like to work with? Well, I, I think my parents and grandparents, whenever somebody came to the house needing food or money in, in a small village in Lebanon, you know, would give them stuff. And it's all, we've always been taught if you could help, you should help, right? Don't let somebody on the street that needs help, you, you should, you know. And so that, I was uh, two friends in the video industry early, I met these two friends and uh, Mo and Lorraine Himmelfarb, who are older, Lorraine's still with us, and I ran Variety Club uh, International. And Variety Club was a series around the world of different organizations that helped handicapped children. And um, so they got me involved, and that was great. And then through them, we did a luncheon once a month of anything filming in Toronto or around. So I got to meet everybody. I met Tony Bennett and Ella Fitzgerald, and through that, wow. we developed friendships. And early on in the video industry, we saw we have we also have this trade show where you know we invite all the video stores and the studios would bring up these old stars or Halle Berry actually in one of her films was there. Yeah, and everybody else kind of. And so we started doing a tribute to the older stars. And so as a gala fundraiser on the night of, and we had all the studios buy tables and we choose a charity each year. And I wasn't completely out. You know, I had three versions of my life. You know, you had your gay friends, and, <laughs> and then you find out they all thought you were gay anyway, except right. What <laughs> of the studio had said, I knew you were gay, but when did you find out? <laughs> um, so we started doing these events, and the film festival here was getting going, it's early 80s, which, you know, one of the biggest in the world. and. So we involved stars coming here for the film festival with, and 
the events would support all kinds of different charities, first variety club. And then um, when AIDS started at the beginning of AIDS, I was spending a lot of time in New York and here. And so um, we used the foundation, the American Foundation for AIDS Research to create a Canadian version of it. And I had worked with, you know, marched in the streets and did a lot of stuff. And I then feared New York and travel and sex in different areas. Um, a bit, not as much as I, <laughs> but you know, it was a very stressful time for everybody. And so we did everything we had here, like, and in New York, I'd worked with Broadway cares and in LA with AIDS project, Los Angeles on different things. And sure. so it's been a, a long way that way, but also, you know, you realize is people want to work with people who give back in the business world, you get known for yeah. something. And people will tell you, you know, Salah, I was going to call you first. There's no, you know, let me know. And it got to a point where an advertising budget, an enviable position and like, here's my budget. Tell me what you need or tell me what you want to do with it. And, you know, if you prove the return on investment and it, it's great and, hey, you know what? I can fit a little interview with such and such. I can do those things. And um, then... Yeah, and I still have quite a few of those friends now that, and I use all of them for fundraising. I need you to buy a table. And it's not, it's not like, well, you know, I'm not going to be here. It's like, fucking cares. I'll fill your table. Just buy it. <laughs> right. And well, I use the F word, but it's after two minutes. Right. That's okay. No, I love that. I mean, it's like, that's been my, I've been doing this show for eight years now and I haven't made a dime because I don't like asking for money. It's very hard for me to do that. I kind of do that out of my love for the entertainment and for our LGBTQ community. But there's people like you that they're just keep giving and giving. And I think um, it's just such a great thing to see because it's usually it reciprocates, right? Those that give usually get a lot in return or, or vice versa. Those are the ones that you really gravitate towards. So good on you for all that. One of the stories I tell in the book, but I'm not sure whether I'm 15 or 16 or whatever, is meeting Cesar Chavez for the first time. Oh, yeah. And we were boycotting grapes outside of a local store here by, you know, the strip mall. We lived behind it. And all I collected, didn't collect very much, but my dad gave me an extra $50 at the end of it. And we were all going to meet. Chavez was in Toronto. There's a march and there's a potluck supper and all those things. And, and you know, the Spanish community had come out full force and he was a catholic he was a practicing catholic so did the catholic community so i'm telling you the whole story because there was so much food it was like <laughs> you know and i went and apologized to him and said i only have 150 bucks sorry you know it's like and he gave me a lesson that to this day i use was fundraising and he told me that's 150 dollars more than we had this morning but here's how your 150 dollars will be spent taking care of two families for a week or two. And it was like, and those of us in fundraising sometimes do the fundraising, but don't get back to people after the event, how we spent their money, what we did. And people will say we raised like $3 million, but how much did you put? What did you net? Like how right. much was the entertainment and all? So those are lessons that, um, and I think that's where, that's the most successful anything anyone can do in fundraising is, no, you know, get back to your supporters and friends and tell them how their money was spent. 
I love that. I've done a couple of what I call my big gay road trips to Palm Springs from Ohio here. And I try to always do some kind of a fundraising component to it where I give some money to a charity once we get there and everything. And it's just, like you said, every little bit helps and little things that they need that you can provide. They may seem little to us, but they're huge to them because it's a need they have, right? Yeah. Yeah. And involve your friends. It can be a lot of fun. It involves people. Like I actually get one of the calls I had today is like, from a foundation, um, a U.S. foundation that supported us quite a bit. Give me your events for next year. I'm doing the classic. What do you mean? I want to make sure we put you into, and my galas are different. There's no speeches, no speeches. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows why they're there. They bought a ton of money. They know why they're there. So, because I'm diabetic, if it's a cocktail hour from six to seven, it's six to seven. There's no (laughs) over. And then, you arrive and there's a plate, an antipasto plate on the table. There's wine on the table. Uh, there's bread. So you can eat right away. But there's on street, just no longest speeches, two minutes, welcomes, no sponsorship, logos or any of that stuff. A step or repeat maybe. And it's all on video screens. And last one was Audra McDonald was our guest singer uh, for 519. And we Love gave, Audra, yeah. And we gave an ally award to John Irving, who lives in Toronto because some of us that go way back to first seeing some of his movies, it's like all the gay characters are there. Everything is written. Nothing is, you know, um, forced or like, yeah. So, and he, he has a transgender daughter that with the help of the 519, which is the, the place that I'm the honorary patron of. Um, and she spoke beautifully and it was the most, so everybody's like, when's the next event? Who's the next ally? So when you leave them instead of like, it was nine o'clock and no live auctions ever. They d- disrupt everything. So you've got to, so you're sitting next to a billionaire. It's like in a bid against him, right? Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. I love an efficient party planner. I like that. That's, we need more of those. <laughs> A lot of fluff in a lot of those things. They need a good gay guy that knows how to get a short, concise, get it done. That's yeah, that's important. Exactly. <laughs> and Mary, I love Audrey McDonald, of course. Her husband was uh, in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and uh, fantastic. So, yeah. yeah. Very, very cool. And he's in the Neil Diamond one now on Broadway. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Okay. Yeah, he, he plays Neil Diamond, and I don't know if that's still on or not, but... I love, and I think Toronto, didn't Toronto just finish up their film festival? You talk about film festivals a bit. I think Toronto's film festival just finished up recently. It finishes up on Saturday. Yeah. So it finishes up this week. And it was a little more challenging with with the strike and everything, but you got to see more independent films and right. it was great. I'm hoping, I, I, I just joined... Um, Galeca, which is the Society of LGBTQ Entertainment Critics, and I'm trying to apply through them to get to go to Sundance for my very first time in January. So okay. well, hopefully, um, if I can, I need to raise some money to get there, but I'm hoping to try to get to Sundance for my very first time. I love a good film festival. I my mom is 84 years old. God bless her heart, and I've taken her to TCM in LA a couple of times. I think you've been too. Yeah. Um, so. I haven't really had a chance to go to uh, Toronto and Sundance are the two that I haven't hit. I've been to Palm Springs, been to a couple other film festivals, but those are my two that are that are on my bucket list. Come Did you next- do anything in Toronto's this year? I, I went to a few films, a couple of films, not too many. Um, 
yeah, I mean, uh, I've got some people will send me screeners and stuff like that, but they, uh, Deepa Mehta, a Canadian filmmaker, has a, a great docu uh, documentary of a film called I Am Sarah, and it's about an Indian transgender person. Mm. And so we, they did a special screening with us, and it it was uh, filled with transgender um, an audience and. And it was a beautiful film, beautifully done, and it has its premiere tonight in Toronto as well. So, and uh, Elliot Page had a, his film debut here as well. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah. Ah, I love it. that's. I'm going to get up to Toronto soon. I'm going to try hopefully Sundance in January and Toronto next next. Uh, I can help Toronto. But Berlin, Berlin is the one you may want to go to if you're a bear boy. Ooh, okay. <laughs> From any experience. We'll put these on bucket. I got now. I have bucket list items. I like it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's dive into the book, Saul. I'm so excited to talk about this. Um, again, uh, first to leave the party. Um, talk about. I, my, I've read some stuff on it. My favorite thing was a quote by Adam Agayan. Says Saul is the patron saint for all of us who are full of curiosity, hungry for celebration horny for fun, and who won't stop until every need is fulfilled. His appetite and passion for life is voracious, and his ability to transform those passions and making life better for others is even more impressive. And I think we just uh, accomplished that and how we talked about that. That's such a great review, isn't it? Oh yeah. my gosh. I mean, there's a few of them in the... Uh, Alan Cumming wrote something beautiful. Margaret Atwood tweeted it out to her 2 million followers. Um, Kim Cattrall just wrote something, and Elton John. So it's not bad. Not know. bad. Just a couple people we might have heard of once or twice. That's okay. I like it. Well, why now? What um, kind of brought this book about? And then let's delve into some of these stories. I mean, when you start with Brando in your backyard, not a bad way to start a book. <laughs> but uh, talk about what made you decide to do this now. Um, you know, I I was. After my surgeries, I had a kidney transplant, and then I got sepsis, and they had to have an ileostomy, and then during COVID, and it went back at a reversal, and um, you know, and I had dialysis seven years before that, and my husband was my nurse at home, so he got at home, and when I was in the hospital during COVID, it's a lot of stories I've told anecdotes of, and on I started doing it on social media, just to help, you know, more to take people's mind off of what's going on. And, you know, so people would be visiting me in a hospital and would say, hey, I'm going to see, there was a play in Toronto called Piaf and Dietrich about their affair. And I'd say, oh, yeah, I sent flowers to Marlena Dietrich. You know, maybe the last person sent her flowers before she died. And I saw her in Toronto perform in 1978 or something. Wow. So little things like that. And then the more I posted, the more my friend said it should be a book. And uh, we wrote it differently than anybody else. So it's written as my memoir, but told through my encounters with other people. Other people the same way that had body issues or were being discounted at the end of their life or, you know, being dismissed or, you know, too old to do this and to do that. And and it's people who were very supportive and encouraging of me and a couple of affairs there, but that's all. <laughs> That's amazing. What's uh, what's probably one of your favorite stories that's in the book? Um, there are many. Um, 
Doris Day, maybe one. Um, I sought out Doris Day. I had Norman Jewison, a filmmaker here, still alive in 97, who did In the Heat of the Night and worked with Doris Day early on. And she was in Carmel. We don't, I was going out with a married man and who had a lot of money and we made a donation to her animal foundation, got to meet her. But most, and so Doris Day is dismissed as this young American, you know, innocent right. woman. And there's a great quote in, about Doris Day from another entertainer, Jimmy Durante, who said, I knew Doris Day before she was a virgin. Um, <laughs> So I wanted to get to know her, and people forget um, that she was one of the first people to hug an AIDS patient anywhere. When Rock Hudson um, had was diagnosed with AIDS, um, she hugged him and kissed him. And on the Christian Broadcast Network, when he died, she said, Rock Hudson is in heaven. Can you do that today in America, do you think? Can you on Fox and you do it? Right. You know, so like there's some people I, you know, wanted to meet and connived every single way or had my friends introduce me to want to meet them. And so Brando, we talk about Brando and I was in the video industry, as we said earlier, and so Matthew Broderick was the hot new star. Right. And him and Brando were doing a film called The Freshman, which came out in nineteen ninety that was shot like in the one of the plazas about a couple miles from our house, you know, and sure. was shot on the same street where I had a lot of summer jobs <laughs> at Sears and different things like that and a potato right. company. So I was I was contacted and said, go interview Broadway. Hold it till the film comes on video. Like, great. And then that would be, and we're giving you the kind of Canadian exclusive, don't fuck it up. <laughs> and and I go and you know they're shooting and doing and there's Rando sitting there. It's like fuck Broderick. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> and it's you know as hot as ever, you know heavy as ever, but as hot as ever. Right, nicest fucking guy. I sit there and they give you one of these tags so he notices the name is not. Anyway, we start talking and whatever, and and I start showing him around Toronto and introduce him as I looked at like a little, I looked quite. I'll, I'll send you this National Enquirer spread that's coming out October second. Um, I looked a little like him, and so I took him around town and took him places and introduced him as my cousin George. And I have a cousin George, my brother <laughs> George. So everybody thought, oh, cousin George is nice. So. That's amazing. I absolutely love that. Who's probably maybe, or who's maybe the most surprising story you might find in the book that uh, maybe your friends didn't realize you had an encounter with? Well, not an encounter, but somebody you're going to find very surprising is James Stewart. Negatively. Ooh, tell me this. Um, you got to read the book. I got to get you the book. Well, Jimmy Stewart was lovely. Jimmy, we read, um, when we had a video magazine, we ran an article on him. But in the old days, in the old journalism change now, is that I would never run an article without interviewing you or talking to you or buying an article of somebody who talked to you. So we were going to do some, Jimmy Stewart's films were coming on, on video. And 
we couldn't get to them or something happened and somebody said they had a story, we were promised an interview. So, but I asked a friend, uh, Beverly Golden, to write it before Google or anything else like that. So <laughs> she was a big fan, big fan and, you know, had cut out little things here and there and went to the encyclopedias and wrote this lovely piece and we ran it that the, these videos were coming, um, you know, soon. And we got a letter from him. We got a letter from Jimmy Stewart saying it's the best article. He's one of the best articles he's read and the best article his wife Gloria's ever read. Like, wow. <laughs> really? <laughs> Fuck you, Time Magazine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it was amazing that way. And we invited him to come up one year um, to pay tribute to him and he had agreed, but then he had an ear infection mm. and couldn't make the flight. So we did this whole video thing and we sent him a lovely award or we sent it to Universal, to MCA back then. And they said, well, do you want to come present it to him at some point? And so I was in LA, I went to their house and presented to him. And their awards like this, they're like um, Inuit sculpture awards. So we all created specifically for different people. And so, nice. yeah, nice. So it was, and he loved it. And, uh, but you know, he had talked a lot about family values and all that stuff. You're all American hero. It's a wonderful life. And then slowly and slowly that you learn different things. He was, you know, very close to Ronald Reagan, very close to um, a couple of your preachers who said, um, you know, it's God's will to subdue the Vietnamese people and the conversation about AIDS and what these people want and all these things. It's hard to be in the same room with somebody like that, although they were very generous and, and lovely. And so right. all his family values thing as well. He had like slept with about 10 of Hollywood's leading women. And not only that, but he made Marlena Dietrich get an abortion way back when. Right. Yeah. So he had suggested his friend Douglas Fairbanks Jr. be honored one year. And so we did, and we got to know him, Douglas, very well. Introduced us. I mean, his dad and Mary Pickford started, you know, Pioneers United Artists Pictures and Chaplin. And, right. And, and so he helped, you know, different things. And he asked, he dated Marlena Dietrich. So there's stuff, you know, became all relationships and so but <laughs> and Jimmy Stewart was still a lovely man. It does he it's the whole thing about it was very awkward because and he named names as well during the McCarthy era, which other people Right. Did. So that's a surprising one. Yeah, I didn't know about that problematic history. I had a, a Jimmy Stewart encounter. Um I grew up in Southern California. So me and my friends would go Christmas caroling in Beverly Hills every year. We go around all the homes at different parts of Beverly. We'd dress up to the nines and go uh, just sing. And then we'd go out to dinner someplace nice in Beverly Hills. And so we got to sing to Lucille Ball and Agnes Moorhead and uh, then to um, Jimmy Stewart. Went to Jimmy Stewart's house and came out, was very, very nice. So I have to say, but I didn't know about the problematic past of all that. So very interesting. No, I mean, he, he was lovely to be with and very complimentary and very nice. But that's the aspect that the whole family values thing back then. Right. 
Danielle Sebagia, and Joan Rivers didn't come out very well in the book. They're the only two that didn't come out well. Aha. I see. Well, it's funny. I'm going to be talking to someone about Joan Rivers later on because I know uh, I'm talking to someone else that kind of had a Joan Rivers encounter. Much more friendly than that, but I'll go from there. <laughs> I knew Joan like, and had used Joan from our second fundraiser for the 519. And, you know, she came here a lot uh, to promote jewelry. And I knew her through Variety Club and several different things. And, you know, we'd have lunch with her in New York. But, you know, you don't realize that her body jokes and fat jokes, unlike uh, Phyllis Diller or Lucille Ball or any of those, right. hurt so many people about body image. And a couple of events we were at, she told the same jokes she had told at the beginning of the AIDS crisis. And, mm. and it was really... Um, and we had a great singer ahead of her, and she's getting got a standing ovation after a woman named Jackie Richardson. And she called me backstage. It's supposed to do three songs. Said, "Pull the bitch off stage. She's stealing my thunder." But, <laughs> but the um, other person, completely different, who comes out glowingly as a comic is, is Phyllis Diller. For it. I mean, I, I, very. I'm familiar with Phyllis Diller because I am of a certain age, but I really didn't know too much of her of her repertoire. I didn't see too much of her stuff except Tonight Show appearances and things like that. So I didn't yeah. really have too much of a knowledge of her. She didn't. All her jokes were self-deprecating. She didn't, right. you know, try attack other people in any way or say anything negative. And you know, she would you know, travel with wigs. But if you actually saw her away from her act. She looked stunning. She'd had all the surgery done. She was supportive of it. Right. She was a, a concert pianist, and uh, she painted. And lovely, lovely woman. And uh, so, I, you know. amazing. Well, I'm so excited to read your book. I'm going to get a copy soon. Um, let everyone know where they can find. I mean, obviously, it's at every good bookseller's here. Talk about your event though on the 17th. You're going to have this big launch. Um, talk about it and talk about uh, the benefit for it and where people can find more information on that. I think it's sold out by now, I think, probably. Yeah, it's sold out by now. So I'm starting, there's one in Halifax. I'm starting on the East Coast in Canada's Ellis Island. And um, and then I'm doing one at the 519, which is one of the greatest and best queer community centers in the world, being 50 years old next year. And we've been keeping it going. And they serve this last year like 225,000 meals in the community. They have 200,000 visitors. One of the first trans programs, refugee queer programs. And so um, doing it as a, and we'll have a few friends show up. Uh, Carol Pope, who's more Canadian than American, did, as, as, is performing uh, a couple of drag queens, a couple. Yeah, so our, and I think it, a few friends will show up as well, like Margaret Atwood and a few others. Look at that. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Surprise, surprise. I like that. Mysterious. Yeah. <laughs> it'll, it'll well, I'm very excited for it. I can't wait to read it myself. And you are so generous. You are going to donate a couple copies to my readers. So we're going to have to have uh, some contests here when this airs. Let you guys, you'll have a chance to find out about all these amazing stories that Sala is sharing with us. So. Thank you for that, my friend. Thank you. And the book's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, everywhere. So 
Like, and if uh, they wanted to find out more, do, do, are you on the social media? Can we follow you on social media? Do you have a website or what's I the do. best way to keep track? Salabashir.com. And uh, I'm on social media as Pasha Bashir. Fantastic. Well, stay on the line for me, Salah. Such a fantastic story. Thank you for all you do. I really appreciate you taking time to come on the show. Guys, that's another interview here on the Left of Straight Show. Be sure to tune in next Tuesday because we'll have five questions with Salah. It's always fun. So thanks for tuning in, everyone. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Left of Straight Show. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast distributor and please give us a five-star rating so more listeners can find us. You can follow us on social media and be sure to check out our website, www.leftofstraightradio.com for contests and other news and information. See you next week.